for all that you have done for us, Lord God. We see our children growing right before us. Lord God, we also pray that as your children, we would grow right before you. Uh, Lord God, we pray, Lord God, as we are proud of our children, that you would be proud of us as your children. Uh, Lord God, living in a way, Lord God, that expresses your glory, Lord God, to this world uh, that is morally and spiritually bankrupt, Lord. Uh, we pray that we would be that light set upon the hill. Uh, Lord God, we are praying, Lord God, that we uh, would so shine unto men that uh, they may want to imbibe of your goodness and your greatness, Lord. Uh, so at the same time, Lord God, help us uh, to realize who you are. Uh, let us not shrink back into our own little uh, mental cubbies, Lord God, uh, the number one that think we know it all. Uh, Father, because if we thought that we knew it all, we would be you. And since we are not you, Lord God, we submit ourselves to you. Mind, spirit, body, all of who we are, we submit ourselves to you. Uh, Lord God, we admit to you that we are not worthy of your grace. Uh, Father, we admit to you we are not even worthy to see this day. But yet you in your infinite wisdom and knowledge and the great depth of your love have allowed us to see this day, uh, not just so we could get up and watch TV, uh, not so that we can get up and, and go shopping, but you've given us this day to celebrate your goodness, to learn uh, of the great depth of your love, Lord God. Uh, you have given us this day to enter in again, Lord God, uh, to again intensify the relationship that you have long done for us on Calvary over 2,000 years ago. So, Father, we are thankful. We are thankful, Lord God, that you allowed us to wake up today. We don't take that for granted. And for every situation that we may have found ourselves in, we thank the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, because it had, had it not been for your grace and mercy, where would we be today? So because we stand... Uh, because we sit before your presence, Lord God, we purposely engage in your word. That we would not be uh, uh, passive learners or understanding or grasping what the Spirit is trying to do in our life. Our prayer, Lord God, is that your Spirit would change us right where we are. Right where we are, Lord God. So we receive your word with thanksgiving and anticipation for what you're going to do in our life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, please turn with me to Mark chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. We have now entered into part four of our series on the urgency of the gospel to the urban soul. And believe it or not, it is still not about us. If you're waiting to hear that message that Jesus told me that I'm going to be this or Jesus has gotten me out of this mess, uh, believe it or not, it's still not about us. Quite sure you think of the type of message that will make you feel good. And I believe that 
these messages, uh, they should make you feel good. And they should make us feel good because we begin to understand the truthfulness and the veracity of who Christ is. So uh, when we read through a book of the Bible and we see things that, that seem so little and insignificant, uh, in that God, he also wants to teach us something. While it is true we can learn plenty of lessons on how to act, how to behave, and even how to live for the Lord, we must also know about our Lord as well. Mark chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. Here we find out that Jesus was driven into the wilderness. Verse 12. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were was ministering to him. As we remember, uh, previously, Jesus was coming out of the water, right? Uh, but now he was driven into the wilderness. The scripture says there in verse 12, it says that uh, the Spirit immediately drove Jesus out into the wilderness. Our observation here is based on the fact that the Spirit uh, was seen as a dove in the previous section. Remember that? When, when Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist, that's right, Jesus was baptized by John the Baptizer, that when he came up, uh, that John the Baptizer and those who had that special revelation saw the Spirit descending from the heavens upon Jesus like a dove. No, the Spirit was not a dove, but the Spirit descended upon Jesus like a dove. But now, that same Spirit, not a different one, can you say amen? Uh, the, the same Spirit has driven Jesus into the wilderness. You see, Jesus was not just simply driven into the wilderness. But what the scripture says, it says that it drove him out. Do we see that? The scripture says that Jesus was driven out. Where, where was he driven out from, uh, you may ask? He was driven out from uh, that really good time of baptism and affirmation uh, that he had received uh, from God the Father and that dove descending upon him and that spirit descending upon him like a dove, uh, this nice, cool, calm, and collected place. Isn't it nice when people tell you how good you are? Amen. Isn't it nice when people do good things for you? Amen. There's like peace in the valley, right? When all things are going well. Uh, but much like life, 
uh, we see that after Jesus in his humanity had experienced the peacefulness of being baptized, uh, this unified vision and observation that we see with the Father, that he goes from there straight to the wilderness. But also understand that what we observe here is that the same spirit which indwells you if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, that same spirit which marks you and I for eternity is also able to place us in situations that we would also normally avoid. Did you know that? That the spirit of God would drive us to places that we would avoid like a plague if we had our say-so. When we also consider how the Spirit drove Jesus into out and into the wilderness, we remember the Israelites who went into the wilderness in order to get to the promised land. Remember that? That wilderness for them was not initially about their disobedience, uh, but about faith and identity. Did you, did you know that? Uh, initially, that the Israelites, they went into the wilderness not because of disobedience, they went into the wilderness in order to get where? Into the where? Come on, you know. Into the promised land. That's why they went into the wilderness. For the Israelites, their time in the, in, in the wilderness, it was simply not optional. The only thing that was optional for them was the amount of time that they would spend out there. They could spend a short time in the wilderness or they could be out there for an extended basis based on their attitude and their behavior while they were in that undesirable place. Neither can we miss Adam and Eve in the garden in which it was a pleasant experience for them until another voice suggested things would be a lot better if they sat up and paid close attention to what was going on with God. It was Satan who again suggested that life could be a lot better if they were able not uh, to walk in obedience, but to do their own thing. So by doing their own thing, what ended up happen, uh, happening to Adam and Eve, that they were driven out of the garden. In this case, it was because of disobedience. But when we compare the Gospels, as we see in Matthew and Luke, that in Matthew and Luke, and if you want to take a look there, and this will probably be one of the only times I have you take a look here, uh, that one of the things that you will see in, in Matthew and Luke uh, chapter 4, in both instances, uh, that, that in a sense that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. This is what? Uh, the Gospel writer uh, Matthew and the Gospel writer Luke, in essence, says that, that Jesus was led into the wilderness. But in our Gospel, the Gospel of Mark, we see that the Spirit uh, that he drove, uh, that he ekbalo, he uh, drove Jesus into, out and into the wilderness. It's quite a contrast because led implies that there was a, a willingness to go to a degree. Why drive or driven or drove means uh, you have been pushed somehow in that direction. 
This very word uh, drove in the original language, it means to cast out, it means to throw out. But here, there's a gentler sense of pushing. Nevertheless, there's a sense of violence we hear with this word that the perspective of other gospel writers uh, do not use. Uh, the other gospel writers say led, but here there is an aggression, there is a sense of violence that Jesus was driven, almost like he was pushed out of where he was and then he made it into the wilderness. Why? Because I believe Mark sees something different. Right? Uh, he, he's writing from a perspective uh, that God has given him for our benefits, right? It, it, it's very easy for us to simply say that when we look at Mark's account here in verses 12 and 13, that it pales in comparison to what we see in Matthew 4 and what we see in Luke 4. What the Lord wants us to know through this gospel it has to do with transition. Uh, previously, Jesus was baptized and he received the affirmation from God the Father that he was his beloved son and whom he was well pleased. Amen? Again, to hear these words, to hear uh, these things that are satisfying and comforting, especially when it comes from a parent. I, I just love uh, what uh, Elder Davis just said about his daughter Sydney. Uh, uh, for Sydney, uh, once she gets uh, completely out of the teenage years, she's going to look back on this moment, and these are going to be most affirming to her. Don't you believe that? In fact, she may even appreciate it right now. But even if she doesn't, one day she's going to look back on this, right? Uh, as, uh, as someone wants to say, uh, uh, used to say, uh, once you finish, uh, stop smelling yourself. Once you get over yourself, uh, eventually you begin to appreciate these things. Now, I'm sure in the terms, in terms of Jesus, that uh, because of this hypostatic union, uh, that he did not need to be comforted uh, because of his divinity. But in his humanity, I believe it was helpful to him. If we could say nothing else about God's words concerning Jesus, one thing that we could say, that God's words are good. Now, when we compare what happened in verses 10 and 11 here in Mark chapter 1 with verses uh, 12 and 13, there is somewhat of a twist of circumstances. In verses 10 through 11, Jesus was connected with the Father, but now in verses uh, 12 and 13, he encountered Satan. You go from being in the presence of what we visually see in the Word to being in the presence of God to being in the presence with Satan. <laughs> when you go from a pleasant situation of peace and affirmation to a situation where things are coming against you to destroy you and to cause you to compromise who you are, it is like being cast out. It is like being driven out. I can imagine. Uh, this would... Uh, not uh, be like a lady getting her hair done, right? Uh, it would not be uh, uh, 
uh, it would be similar, I should say, to a lady getting her hair done, right? And, 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 and a beautician's comb, uh, when a lady first, I can, I can imagine, right? I haven't been in many of those things because I probably go for all of five minutes and I tell my wife I got to go because there's too much, too much stuff going on up in here. Uh, so uh, the, I can imagine uh, when you ladies, when you go uh, to the beautician and she starts on your hair and she wants to comb or brush your hair, and I know when they grab that comb and they grab that brush for the first time, they stick it in there and they just yank it down and it goes out really clean and easy, right? In other words, here, it's kind of like uh, you need to use some hair products uh, that you keep in your hair that keeps your hair smooth and silky until the next time you get it done. But when you don't have that, it's a very difficult transition from here to getting it all together. As I oftentimes hear from certain ones, uh, not uh, any more from my wife's beautician, at least from what I'm hearing from my, my wife, that sometimes I used to hear uh, the lady saying that I got my hair done and boy, is my head sore. Jesus goes from the water into the wilderness, this bump, uh, this uh, needing this smooth transition, but difficult to make it through. From a human perspective, uh, this is quite a jump unless your house is in the wilderness. In other words, you go from this water of peace uh, to this wilderness, right? Uh, unless you're going to the wilderness and you have a house built there. But again, look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 24. He drove out the man. And at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed a cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. That angel is there to prevent them from eating that other uh, fruit uh, that will give them eternal life. Uh, but God did not want them to live eternally in sin separated from him. So he prevented them from coming back into the garden from partaking of that other fruit on the tree. Remember, there was two uh, there that was in, 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 in view. So, so God drove out man out of the garden. But then when we go back to Mark chapter 1, we must look at this from the Spirit's point of view. In this case, the Spirit would not wait for the adversary to bring havoc to Jesus' life. <laughs> you, you hear what I'm saying? The Spirit of God would not wait uh, for the devil to come to bring, in this case, havoc to Jesus' life, his ministry. In this case, the Spirit had Jesus uh, to take the offensive and literally to move into the enemy's camp. Well, you're saying, what are you talking about? Well, the wilderness, if you did not know, it is not a place for the squeamish. The, the wilderness is not a place for the weak of heart. As a matter of fact, it was a common belief that during this time that demons particularly were attracted to places like bathhouses. In other words, remember, everybody didn't have bath, uh, bathtubs. So they had places that they would go, a public place, in order to take a bath. 
So people believe that in these public places that demons would be there. That demons would be in graveyards. Demons would be in deserts or uh, wilderness areas. I want you to recall with me for a moment where the man who was possessed by the demon was uh, when he encountered Jesus, he was in a graveyard. Look at Mark chapter 5, verses 2 through 7. Mark chapter 5, verses 2 through 7. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. This was, a, uh, this was a, a guy who was possessed by some strong demons, verse 4. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. Uh, no one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. You see that? You see that? You see... People, people who cut themselves, you know that's not of the Lord. The scripture is telling us that why was this man cutting himself? He was cutting himself of, because of the demonic presence. Verse 6, and when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him, and crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God. Uh, here is a, de a demon uh, trying to go to God to intercede for him. Isn't that a kick in the head? A demon says, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God. Remember that everybody who, who claims the name of Jesus Christ in God, that they are not necessarily good. Just because people are around you talking about, oh, the Lord is good and the Lord has done this and God has done this and Jesus has done that, know that they can also be influenced by demons. Know who you're talking to. In the wilderness... Israel faced a horde of adversary whose main goal was to divide and destroy that nation. For Israel, it was not a one-time engagement with the enemy, and then you are done. It was not. You, you do it once and you're over. As long as they were in the wilderness, they had to constantly engage in the spiritual, emotional, and physical battle. You can't enter the enemy's territory and expect him to be nice to you. Now don't think that you're going to walk in your situation with all your Jesus talk and all your helpfulness and how you want to help, help folks and people see how nice you are and people see the Jesus in you. Don't think that you're going to do all that and then people are just going to leave you alone. <laughs> the devil is not going to be nice to you. Regardless of your situation that you may be involved, everywhere that you go into uh, outside the realm of where God exists and he is on the throne, know that the devil is not going to be nice to you. You can expect warfare. So don't be fooled. But you see here with Jesus, you can't always wait for the battle to come to you. 
There are times when you must absolutely take the fight to the one you know is going to try to hurt you and try to hurt you bad. Sometimes you just can't wait. But know that the difference is that it requires the leading of the Holy Spirit, right? Uh, Jesus entered into this wilderness, uh, this place where the demonic would be, but he did so uh, as he was led how? Come on, you, you see it in the passage, how he was led how? By the Spirit. So don't think that you're going to get up one day and say, you know what, I've been hearing about all these gangbangers, I'm going to go right up here and I'm going to tell them I got Jesus with me. I tell you what, if you go, you better be led of the Holy Spirit, right? All right, now I'm not telling you don't go now because God may be calling some of you to go. If you are what? Led by the, come on. All right. But one thing we also must remember, we must remember also that the Spirit did not drive Jesus into temptation. Did he? Where did the Spirit drive him into? Well, let's try it again. Where did Jesus drive, where did the Spirit drive Jesus into? The wilderness. He did not drive him into temptation. Let's keep going. Jesus was in the wilderness for how many days? 40 days, uh, verse 13. And he was in the wilderness 40 days. Uh, this, of course, again, is uh, reminiscent of Moses on Mount Sinai. And Moses was on that mountain with the Lord for 40 days and 40 nights. In fact, in Genesis 7, Noah built the ark because the Lord would send rain that would last for 40 days and 40 nights. In 1 Samuel uh, chapter 17, it was 40 days that Goliath exacerbated the armies of Israel by daring them to send out a man who was capable of fighting against him. But also notes in these cases, it seems that there was not a predetermined amount of time that the individual knew would pass before they would get out of that situation. So in other words, what I'm trying to say is simply this. When you think that you are in a place, it may last longer than 40 days. When you get into your own personal proverbial wilderness where demons are to destroy you, you know it may last longer than 40 days. It might last 41 days. It may last a week. But it also may last a year. And it may last a couple of years. And that's the difficulty. While in the wilderness, Jesus would be tempted by Satan. And again, comparatively speaking, when we compare uh, the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Luke with uh, the Gospel of Mark, Mark spends no time uh, with the conversation between Jesus and the devil, does he? We only get two verses here. In those other instances, we are given the details about the actual temptation and the different ways of attack to compromise the Son of God's uh, personhood and also his mission on the earth. So does that mean that, 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 that Mark had very little uh, uh, insight while Matthew and Luke had a greater revelation of all that went on? I believe that the Lord uh, wants us to ask a different question instead of that one. The question we should ask is, 
What is the gospel trying to show us? So the question that should not be pervasive in our head should not be, well, why didn't Mark say this? Then he must didn't know everything. And then it doesn't belong in the Bible. Well, why did they do that? Then why did they add all that? They must have added that to the Bible. That is not our questioning, our line of questioning. We need to ask, well, what is Mark trying to show us? So because we are adhering to Mark's gospel as best as we can, Let's try to understand what the Lord is trying to reveal to us through this gospel. So it is clear through the gospel of Mark that Jesus was driven into the wilderness and was tempted by Satan and came out unscathed. And so Jesus, he went into the devil's territory and then when he came out, Jesus was still good. Amen? Thank you, Lord. That was pretty much what we read in these verses. Again, verse 13, and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan, and he was with wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. So when we look at uh, these two verses, 12 and 13, what do we focus on? Well, we focus on the temptation of Christ, but in a way that would do justice with our text. In essence, uh, we need to ask ourselves whether Jesus could have truly been tempted in the first place. Could Jesus even have been tempted in the first place? How could Jesus, the Son of God, be tempted by anything? In one sense, in one sense, it's very similar to the question we asked about Jesus being baptized. Why was it necessary for him to be baptized, right? We asked that question last time. Why? Why does the Son of God need to be baptized? Because he's already holy and, and God is already righteous. So in these verses, how could Jesus be tempted? Part of our confusion comes from a lack of understanding concerning the difference between temptation and uh, test and trial. So the difference between a temptation on this hand and then on the other hand we have test and trial. Now understand that sometimes uh, some of these words, uh, they're kind of used interchangeably, uh, but the distinguishing characteristic is often found in the context a context in which the word is actually used. Here it is concerning temptation. Lewis Sperry Schaefer, the founder of Dallas Theological Seminary, says this, that at the core of being tempted, at the core of being tempted is, it is a solicitation to do evil. Temptation is a solicitation to do evil. In other words, you are invited to do wrong for the sake of doing wrong with the hope that you will find pleasure in doing wrong. With temptation, uh, there always seems to be a manipulation that goes on behind the scene, uh, behind the scene which leads you, which leads us down the path of an unrighteousness. The end game for temptation is to get you to sin, 
to keep you there, and then once you sin, to make you feel like a dog. Now, unless your conscience has been seared, you never feel good about yourself after you have sinned. Say it again, unless your conscience has been seared as with a hot iron, you never feel good about your sin after you have sinned. Sin, somehow, it makes you feel dirty. Sin makes you feel unworthy. Again, if you're one of these people, you do sin, it's like it doesn't mean anything. You, you sin like a person drinks a glass of water. It doesn't mean anything to you. So, Temptation, it purposely leads you down a path of darkness and leaves you there. So that's temptation. It is a solicitation to sin. Now trials and testing, on the other hand, has in mind a ministry which seeks to find out who you are. Let's try that again. So with trial or testing, it has a mission to find out who you are to discover really what's on the inside of you. For instance, if you go to school, most of us have gone to some kind of school, or if you've taken some kind of test, one thing that you know that when you take these tests, sometimes unending amount of questions, that what, why does our teacher, our instructor, our professor give us these exams, these tests, because they want to find out what? What you what? They want to know what you know. They, uh, they want to say, okay, you've been in my class for X amount of time, so therefore your knowledge of the subject matter should have improved. So uh, when God takes us through trials and testings, it is for the express purpose to find out uh, how have you matured or who are you really? Have you really learned anything, or are you still back where you were, were when you first signed up for the class? Trials and testings. Listen to this. Trials and testings are meant to, uh, here's a word for you, undeceive. Trials and testings are meant to undeceive. In other words, to discover what's really on the inside of you. Whereas temptation is meant to deceive. It's meant to trick you. It's meant to take you down a path that once you get there, you realize, I'm in a heap of trouble. But in the process, you will also find out your desperate need of dependence on the Lord. So in essence, we need to ask ourselves whether Jesus could have truly been tempted in the first place or not. The question is a legitimate one because it concerns whether there is, and here's another one for you, peccability with him. Peccability. Peccability. In other words, could Jesus actually sin? When he is presented with a temptation, a solicitation to sin, could Jesus actually sin? You see, if Jesus could actually sin, then all of us are in a world of trouble because we have no one who's strong enough to stand up to Satan. And the entire human race is just completely undone. This question must move further 
in a sense, in a sense, and asks whether God can be tempted to sin. So here they are. Uh, is God peccable or is he impeccable? Believe it or not, you're, in a great sense, your salvation rides upon this. Because Jesus, you see, because he also has a divine nature, that divine nature pre prevents the humanity of Jesus Christ of being tempted in the first place. The divinity of Jesus in this hypostatic union, 100% God and 100% man, uh, his divinity prevents his humanity from even being tempted to sin. So uh, Mark, in other words, his point is that temptation is not even an issue. It is a non-issue. So therefore, for the gospel of Mark, uh, he doesn't spend any time talking about all those temptations because this is a non-issue for Mark. This gospel simply shows us that Jesus won. Amen? Uh, uh, Jesus goes into this area where there's temptation and he wins. It is no contest. Let's go on to the next thing. Well, I'll put it to you in another way. Concerning his temptation, and can he, temptate, can he tempt God? Can he tempt God incarnate in the flesh, Jesus Christ? It is like a, uh, a battle. A battle between a tank, a big giant armored tank, and a little boy riding on a bicycle. Right? And you have this big giant tank uh, coming at the little boy riding on his little bicycle, right? He's coming. He says, I'm going to beat you up, Mr. Big Tank. And he's coming this way. And then you have this massive tank with all of its force, with all of its weight, with all of its ammunition coming out this way. And, and, and the little boy says, I'm going to completely destroy it. And he has nothing else. You see, this is just like Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is this big giant tank with all the ammunition and all the weight of glory coming this way. And Satan is like the little boy on the bicycle and he's going this way towards Jesus. And he thinks he can destroy Jesus, but he can't because Jesus is too massive. Jesus is too godly because he is God. And there's no way in the world that the little boy that's Satan on his little bicycle can even put a dent in Jesus Christ. So for the gospel of Mark, it is a situation not even worth exploring in the first place. Because the Son of God is the tank and the devil is a bicyclist. Mark therefore leaves it there and we must understand this position with our Lord. It is a place of confidence and assurance that Jesus always wins. Amen? Who wants to be on the side of a winner? Amen? Uh, if I can imagine in my mind uh, a presidential candidate right now who always say, uh, you don't want to be with a loser, you want to be a winner. Why? Because I always win. Well, guess what, sir? You don't always win. There's only one that always wins, and that's Jesus Christ. Jesus always wins. It is a place of confidence and assurance. Even when it seems that the enemy is charging full speed at you. Be on the side of a winner. 
are not one uh, that simply flaps their gums. As to, in our passage, the wild animals that we see here, it simply shows us that it was a hostile environment. It tells us nothing that Jesus laid down with the lion and the lamb, anything like that. I believe, I believe that when we take wilderness into account, and he was in the wilderness of 40 days, and there were wild animals, that all these things, when you put them together, we see that it was a hostile environment, and Satan was there. Satan was there. But Jesus Christ, as we know, he came out unscathed. Hebrews chapter 4. Verses 14 through 15. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 15. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. The angels later showed up to minister and to serve Christ, but unscathed and unharmed by the darts of the enemy who tried his best to neutralize our Lord uh, of his authority and his title, Jesus still was the victor. And Jesus still remains our victor today. And Jesus, not only that he made it clean and clear and he went through the wilderness, but he also, uh, he gave us our victory on the cross as well. And because we see this picture of him coming through unscathed, untouchable, unmoved by the threats of the adversary, we can have our confidence in Jesus Christ. I ask you this afternoon, where is your confidence? Man, if you don't have any confidence in Jesus now after standing up to Satan just in that passage itself, uh, then you may never get that confidence, but we have more. We do have the cross of Calvary, the fact that Jesus Christ was resurrected from the dead. But nevertheless, when we see here that Jesus came out the winner and that he won, I tell you that if you don't know Jesus, you need to run to Jesus right now because the same enemy... That, wants to just, that wanted to destroy him, he wants to destroy you. When will we learn? We thank Jesus that he came out of the water, but Jesus, he also came out of the wilderness. Let's pray.